0: There is a balm in Gilead to make the wound.
1: 55, to the choir master, with stringed instruments, a mascal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint, and I moan, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it, on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning at noon I utter my complaint and moan and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, Selah. Because they do not change And do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. The 55th Psalm in the ESV.
2: Well, hello and welcome, and I hope that you enjoyed that reading half as much as I did. That was the most moving reading I think we've ever had on this show.
3: And that wasn't me either. Uh we have a special guest with us tonight. Uh pastor friend from the Pacific Northwest there, Aaron DeBoer. Hey Aaron, good morning. Or good <laughs> good evening.
1: Good evening, brothers. Yes indeed. Thank you for allowing me to read the word and for uh opening our discussion in that way. Very rich.
2: Yeah, and uh Yeah. And, and again, yeah, thank you for for coming on. We we've uh we are all three part of the Presbycast Discord and we interact with with one another fairly regularly there um, and so I, I hear that we had a conversation started on our uh, Discord server at the same time that there is a conversation going on the, on the Presbycast Discord server and we decided to uh combine streams so they say
3: well yeah yeah so the topic that we want to discuss tonight is kind of a serious topic, um, a, a very serious topic, and one that we've touched on before with uh, through individuals, uh, and that's deconstruction. And deconstruction is this concept where people walk away from the faith, but they do it because they think that there is something wrong. With the church, or something wrong with the Christianity that they've always been taught. And so they're looking for something else. And that's kind of the topic that we want to pick up tonight. Um, but first, I'm really curious what are you all listening to these days?
2: Um, so I mentioned on our last episode that I had been listening through, uh, I found an album, like a CD, like one of those little weird, like, circular silvery things that saw around in my car. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, listened through the Reliant K5 scored in seven years ago album. And, um, I would probably still be listening to that except for as happens to CDs, the last two tracks were scratched. And so I can never really listen to either of them all the way through, which is unfortunate because those are the two best songs on that album. As we mentioned last week as well. So I found another album that was kind of floating around, and it was uh, an album called "When I Was Young" by Colony House. Uh, Colony House is uh, the uh, lead singer and drummer are the sons of Stephen Curtis Chapman. We've we've talked about them before on on the pat on the show, but uh, "When I Was Young" is their first album, and I've just been listening to that for like really the last week, except for yesterday because yesterday it just so happened that colony house dropped their fourth album uh and so i listened to that uh like three times and it's a it's a really good album it was better than their third it's called uh cannonballers uh it was better than their third album which their third album was kind of a collection of songs it wasn't really a cohesive album this one is very cohesive it's a uh it's a summer album and it dropped on a day where it was 13 degrees in the, in the Midwest. So, uh, it's kind of strange, but kind of cool at the same time. Um, and, uh, and I, I liked it. I liked it quite a lot. Uh, song on it. It's called trying to survive. It's I think my favorite song on the album. Uh, it's a political song, but it's not a slap you in the face political song. Uh, definitely you can tell, uh, what, current issues they're talking about but they do it in such a way to where it's a pretty evergreen song and i know that can be really difficult to do making a song work with a strong connection but that can but you don't have to connect with it in the way in, intended uh that said i really hate the opening line of that song i i don't remember what it was off the top of my head i just remember i just did not like the opening line but the rest of the song i thought was really good
3: uh, that's awesome yeah I've also been listening to that album quite a bit. Um, my favorite song on there is actually one of those days or one of these days, or it's one of those days. <laughs> and um, yesterday was one of those days. And, uh, you know, it's just like everything going wrong, but at the same time, it was, uh, it's just a fun little uh, summer anthony kind of song. Well, not, not so much. It's like a fun sort of uh you know one of these folksy type sounds to it but also combining like switchfoot type their landlocked surf rock uh is yeah. what they call themselves and they even have a song of that uh, but that that sound really comes through and it's really uh, fairly a little bit more unique i would say than than your average average band and i liked it a lot what aaron what have you been listening to
1: yeah a little shifting gears probably i mean one of the things i appreciate about you guys is you have such a good um working knowledge of the contemporary genre but yet i sense you're also looking way back um to the more ancient resources of the church and i appreciate that about you i don't have a lot of time for recreational listening these days but um part of my role in in pastoring a, a very simple, ordinary means of grace church is I'm also the acapella psalm precentor, um, And so we, we have a singing service four times a week that we're gathered um, in song. And so there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. On Tuesday nights, for instance, we sing through the Psalter. It takes us about Mm, usually about seven months meeting Tuesday nights for dinner and, and so forth. But what I, I often am listening to, and maybe you've come across him as a, a worship planning resources, YouTube page of a, of an accompanist named Andrew Remillard. And he has um, settings of so many hymn and Psalter tunes um, recorded with the piano. So as I'm choosing alternate metric settings, for um, the psalms that we'll be singing, I, I lean on him as a resource uh, so that I can get the, get the tune in my head because I'm mediocre at, at, at reading sheet music. But other than that, I don't have a whole lot of time for recreational listening. I suppose if somebody drives by and I hear out of their windows them playing uh, the songs that I loved in my 20s from you know the genre of southern guitar freedom rock and roll, I will quickly be singing along and have, uh, and be reminded of some you know, power Southern ballad or <laughs> anthem that, that I know. And then that'll be, you know, whistling, uh, the remainder of the day.
2: That's How amazing. That sounds very specific. How frequently does that situation come up?
1: <laughs> well, I live in the sticks. So <laughs> some of my friends and neighbor can consistently deliver, um, that method of, of stimulus for me. Fantastic.
3: One of the things, yeah, Andrew, or sorry, I just looked up Andrew, uh, Rumblard, and we'll post a link to him in the show notes. But, uh, one of the things that is really neat, Aaron, that you have done is you will even take your own settings of Psalms and, uh, put them to various tunes and whatnot. I've noticed that you've posted like, um, Oh man. There are several though that I, um, there, there was one to the tune of he leadeth me. Sure. Uh, I believe it's the, uh, you also did that with the Lord's prayer, I believe. And, um, but do you typically use the 1912, uh, Psalter, or do you use, uh, like the book of Psalms for singing or book of Psalms good, for worship as well? Good
1: question. Yeah. We have, um, in the pews, we have the 1959, 1959- psalter hymnal and the 1990 Trinity hymnal. So we'll take psalm settings from either of those, but we'll also use, um, the RPCNA psalter, the 1912, the new Trinity, um, a couple other things because we have the freedom, um, acapella to, I can just print the lyrics on the back of the bulletin. And so I would say our congregation has a repertoire of probably about 50 tunes but yet we strive to sing all 150 psalms. And so, and then in worship, in public worship, that, that we sing appropriate psalms that support uh the element of worship or or the the pulpit message. And and so we're drawing from those uh, 1650 as well is another one we'll use, and then plugging them in to, to tunes we know, and then um slowly learning additional tunes, but it's, it's a really fun, creative process to stretch our people a little bit, um, and educate, you know, a a lot of the folks that have, have come into our church have no kind of background with singing the Psalms. So it's been, it's been education from the start with them, but, um, they've really come to love it. And it's helpful when, when it's a, perhaps a, a hymn tune that they're familiar with and they can just pick it up right away, even though the words are different.
3: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's really neat. I'm uh, sure we could have,
1: we could have a lengthy conversation about worship, uh, yes. perhaps another time.
3: I would love that. Honestly, that's one of the episodes on, and Brian knows this from like the very beginning. I was like, we need to do an exclusive solemnity discussion and ask all the tough questions that we have in our heads, uh, that we've heard over the years. Um, and yeah, I would love to <laughs> love to talk with you sometime about that. But so yeah,
1: for our topic tonight, um yeah, it's um it's one that I've observed over the last couple decades in the church. Uh I'll admit a bias in having it come near to my family, uh people I love and having affected them and um even covenant succession in in our in our heritage. Um but I would like to think that as a pastor and someone with some graduate and postgraduate theological education, I, I hope I also have some tools to address it fairly, to address deconstruction as it, as it presently is being worked out in, our, in the church and in the culture uh, in a way that perhaps they would recognize, but, but then I think by conviction w- would, need to, would need to use the scriptures and, and our Reformed theology to, to take it down.
3: Yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to back up just a little bit and talk about this idea of deconstruction and kind of what touched all this off was, uh, I was just on Facebook and one of my favorite bands as a, you know, as a child was, uh, Plum, which is basically Tiffany Arbuckle, singer songwriter. And she debuted Back in 1997, I was in high school, you know, it was very angsty, you know, music and, but she's very gifted artist, but one of the things she posted was this, this lengthy Facebook article about how she's like deconstructing so that she can reconstruct. And I, it was, it hit, you know, a lot of like alarm bells, first of all, and then It made me think of some of the other people that we've kind of talked about on the show before, but it also made me realize that we hadn't really ever backed up and discussed what is deconstruction itself. And so I did a little bit of digging into that. I don't want to get too in the weeds about this because I want to talk more about how we in the church, how we as people with friends who may be experiencing this. Can come alongside, can come alongside to uh, help and pray with and uh, counsel even these these friends. And for those in the church, I mean, uh, I'm really glad that we have you, Aaron, a a minister on the call tonight because uh, you provide that pastoral perspective too. And
1: that's a good reminder, Grant. And I I mean, I get you know excited to demolish arguments, as Paul would say, but. I think you're right. We need to remember there's a there's a common denominator in this that is wounded, wounded people. Um, And so that that has to be acknowledged um, from the beginning. And there's got to be a continued sensitivity um, toward that. And then and not an anathematizing just because we hear this term. It's it's used across a spectrum. It, It has a literary place. Uh, over the last couple of decades, but but some folks are going to come to it and use it um, in a way that maybe uh, we're not familiar with or they're they're dabbling. I think that's what set it off in the discussion yesterday was a a gentleman who's um, probably just just well known in more progressive PCA circles tweeted that if there was a if I can paraphrase, uh, maybe if there was going to be a benefit to deconstruction. That maybe there would be a good reconstruction, um, but I think anecdotally and and even as it's played out in the literature and philosophically and in practice, it doesn't end well usually. Um, but yeah, you why don't you share kind of what you how you define it? I have some some things some terms I think too that we could maybe um, refer to the folks who are still um, promoting it. In, and use their terminology to to set set the discussion a little bit too, and, and see where they're coming from.
3: Yeah, appreciate that. And uh, So I would like oh, to, go ahead.
1: to interject something just real quick, and this is
2: specifically to the the Plum article, as well as to something else I heard randomly in the week. Um, there, there seems to be uh, not like a universal accepted uh, accepted definition for this. And I know we're about to get into that, but that's uh, ironic, but I know I did want to, to state that on the surface, this post by plum feels like she's using the term incorrectly. And, and the other time that I heard it this week, it also felt like it was being used incorrectly. Um, and, and I can get more specifically into that as we go. But one thing that I did want to keep in our minds as we get into this defining deconstruction is, um, this idea of misusing the term deconstruction and potentially drawing people astray uh, unintentionally uh, because I'm using it to mean something else. I'm using it to mean discernment and, and mm. it's absolutely not the same thing. Uh, so, yeah, well, we can get into that as, as we go. I just wanted to, do, to keep that on our on our minds as we go through, through this.
3: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, deconstruction itself is kind of a squishy term, right? Um, It basically begins from this idea that we can't actually know truth, which flies in the face of Christianity, right? Christianity relies on a divinely inspired and inerrant text and deconstruction, deconstructionists would say that that has to go and be replaced actually by something new. And this concept was actually written about back in 1967 by the philosopher Jacques Derrida. uh, Derrida. And it came more into more popular use back in the 1980s. And today you're probably going to hear this mostly connected with the critical theorists today Um, of all stripes, right? Not just critical race theory, which is fairly well known right now just because of um, a lot of media coverage and whatnot, but uh, there's a lot of different branches, which we don't need to get into, but they all kind of are drawing on this idea that a, there is no way to know truth. And B that as a result of that, we kind of need to tear down the structures that are there today and put in their place, something new. Um, so the uh, theologian, uh, John Feinberg wrote in his book, no one like him uh, about the doctrine of God. He talks about some of these postmodern type theories. And this is what he says about deconstruction is said uh, in, in the goal of deconstruction, um, is instead the goal of deconstructing so as to admit the coming or entrance of the other is to reconstruct society, to be a new society that empowers all people and hears equally all different perspectives. So in their heads, what they're trying to do is create this, this magical place where everybody's voice will be heard equally. And um, it, that is what they want to create. And this is what I noticed about that or, uh, about, what Arbuckle said in this article was that she was deconstructing for the purpose of reconstructing our faith. And at first it kind of sounded to me anyway, like, Oh, maybe that's like, you know, that's okay. And, and Aaron, the example that you brought up, you know, maybe that there is something in there that is, uh, uh, harmless or maybe even a positive step. But yet I want to remember that Paul reminds us in First 1 Timothy 1.19 that rejecting the prophecies handed down to us results in a shipwreck in regarding to our, our faith. And I think that's at its core what deconstructionism is. It's a shipwreck of our faith. Uh, what do you think yeah. about that? Do I have that right?
1: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree and I think you've you've established the terms um, as they would recognize them. There was a there's a site a couple of sites that I think are representative of um those promoting it you know more formally today is um the sophiasociety.org and also um the website of Rachel Held Evans who who died she was quite a promoter of this, but she died about four years ago, quite young, um, and so her acolytes have kept her former blog posts um, and her her published work and so forth up. So those two would give give a, a listener some idea. Sophia Society has a brief statement about what it is: deconstructing faith, the the taking apart of an idea, practice, tradition, belief, or system into smaller components in order to examine their foundation, truthfulness usefulness and impact. And so that that at first at first gloss sounds pretty good. And, and some in our circles in our discussions yesterday were saying, you know, that doesn't sound that bad. We we want people to examine the claims of Christ in both his Old and New Testament. Um, but then you dig a little bit deeper under the surface in some of these writings. And they would say, well, we're we're commonly uh, recovering from fundamentalist Christianity. So there's a there's something going on there where they they maybe don't have a very sophisticated theology. Uh, there's often going to be some conflating of the the visible church and the invisible church. Um, in some cases, uh, there they will acknowledge that no, we're changing our beliefs. Um, sometimes syncretizing. I could define that term as as meshing or blending Christian faith with with a false faith. Like the classic example is. Um, the nation of Haiti having lots of Catholic and, and, and Christian missionaries, but hedging their bets with voodoo. What happens sometimes with deconstructionists is they're, they're vulnerable to um, bringing in mysticism of, of various stripes, of different sort of uh, ancestral and tribal life ways, as they would say, sometimes animism, um, deep ecology. Comparative religions, contemplative practices, mythology, and, and those things start to come in as well. I, I remember my dad saying when he was examining the um, I think Held Evans Conference was called and still may be going, um, Evolving Faith. That's the name of the conference. It's it's got a lot of dangerous implications. They they serve the Lord's Supper and and, and so forth, though they're not a church and and um have deliberately have the the pseudo officers that do that be made up from from people in gay and lesbian lifestyles and and stuff like that. Um and my dad looked at that uh website uh, out of concern for someone we love and and he said, you know, where is Jesus in this movement? And and by that he meant, I mean, the real Jesus, the the begotten son, the the propitiation of the Father's love, which, which is the, the propitiation of the Father's wrath, which is the demonstration of the Father's love. And that is not there. The, the historic Jesus is not there. And, and so some of the things that go, that, that fall right away, are substitutionary atonement. And uh, some of the real essentials for, for our, our sin to be borne uh, by the righteous one. And so there's there's just a whole lot going on.
2: And uh, I want to piggyback on what you just said, especially about the where is Jesus. Um, 1 John 4, uh, I, you, you, there's there's times where we get to things and we're like, man, I really wish that I had like a very solid scripture passage that would just like touch that directly. Well, we have one for, what, for the situation you just gave. And it's 1 John 4, uh, 1 through 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. as as you said, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in that conference? That's that should be a red flag because if the spirit is not confessing Jesus, then it is not it is not of God. It is of the Antichrist,
1: um, and that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely, and and that you know when we when we look across the. I guess we could call it, 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 it's not identical to, but it often dovetails with what we would call progressive Christianity, and which also sometimes dovetails with pro- progressive political ideology, but they're not necessarily the exact same. It, it is, in fact, the person and work of Christ that, that gets moved way far aside. And what becomes the emphasis are um, the hurts, where, where there has been a heavy-handed, use of the law perhaps where there has been genuine um spiritual emotional or physical e- abuse and and so those become the emphasis and it it becomes um it, it's a brush that then tars uh the whole the whole visible church and and all strands of theology it it seems to have a an ethos as though um Wisdom is there's, is new. It, it's, it, it needs to reject everything old, uh, and that's a common thread throughout the history of the church. Um, Pelagius, you know, he wanted to um, deconstruct original sin, and and say that that you know humanity had it within themselves to to arrive at the truth, uh, and then certainly different strands of enlightenment uh, sort of claim claim the same thing that now we've arrived. At this strand of knowledge that that we can truly uh put these things together. And, and that has affected the church uh greatly, even shortly after the Reformation, and how that there's just there's marvelous literature out there about how, you know, obviously the French Enlightenment, but even how it affected colonial Presbyterianism for for our circles and so forth. Benjamin Franklin was was sort of a deconstructionist that wanted to, to take certain biblical principles and and use them to construct a, a new nation and and system of government. And he was co-opting uh, very liberal ministers in the process. And then this gives way to, to German higher criticism. And as Grant said, this this is a higher critical vein. This is this is connected to that trunk, uh, no doubt about it. And so we would this would run through the fundamentalist modernist controversy. And and where Gressa Machen says. You know, liberal Christianity is no Christianity at all. And now, you know, respected men in our circles, like Dr. Harry Reeder, are are, are saying similarly about progressive Christianity. Um, you know, we don't want to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. There are people who are who are just confused or or misunderstanding or hurting. And so there's there is an opportunity for truth, uh, for presenting Christ, His Word as truth and, and calling people to repentance for their own sin. And moreover calling people to forgive because again, so much of this is rooted in, in
3: pain. Yeah. That human element I think is something that I would love to go a little bit deeper on if that's all right. Um, and thinking about the people that are, drawn to deconstruction they they're united by yeah, there's probably some pain in their background. Um, it, But is this something that in your experience that you think could be helped by sitting down with him or her and asking them what assurance they get from this new faith, like that they have in deconstruction? Like if they're rejecting what's old, do they have... F- faith in what's new or what they're creating? Or do you see that as just sort of a rejection of everything and they don't know really how to put together the pieces at all, but um, assume that there is some way and sort of have a faith in that way. Is it, is it helpful to call out that kind of um, pointing that out? Like what faith do you really have in where you're headed versus what faith you have in Christ? Is that something that, yeah,
1: I think there is some utility in that. You're kind of describing apologetics in a way, um, but I, I have to remember too that um, spiritual things are spiritually discerned, and those that are not spiritual cannot discern them. And so the answer to that is evangelism. You know, I, I feel like sometimes folks of this philosophy, yeah, they they would like to argue with you. Um, they're, they're 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 angry. Um, they've got a philosophy now. They've got a a body of literature. Uh, they've got a community when they go to these conferences and these online communities and so forth. And so I would argue, um, just simply evangelizing, presenting sin and salvation, presenting our deep need to be reconciled to a holy God, though we are sinners and that the person and work of Christ and all that he has revealed in his word and in his promises and, um, is, is, the, is, the, is the only way to open that conversation. Now, I, I may be wrong on that, but I, it just seems to me that the, my experience has been arguing escalates in, in these situations. They are, most folks, I don't want to generalize too broadly, but are they're dug in. They're dug into some of this and it's it is uh, it, it's accompanied by, by bitterness um, and, and so forth. So Grant, I, I, it may be, I think there's different people with different gifts for that sort of sensitive but informed reasoning with folks. But at the end of the day, having been through this, you know, for the better part of 15 years with some individuals, I, I, I regret the, the sort of apologetic method, and that may be my own personal weakness. Uh, but I think we have to present our, our need for, for grace, and, and oftentimes what you come up against is is someone that had not the spirit and and so they they have not the conviction of sin um, and and that's grievous and that, that's one of the hardest things particularly as this is is it plays out in covenant families uh, so if there were yeah if, if I was to say here's the methodology I I, I simp- this may sound trite, but I think it's simply presenting the gospel the whole gospel
3: that doesn't sound trite at all um, the gospel is is the power of God to salvation. And that is what what these people need. They're hurting for a particular reason. And whether they, you you know, people talk, it's popular to talk right now about like church wounds and things like that. And maybe they were hurt um, at a church in the past, but the answer isn't philosophy. The answer is the gospel and the gospel is the one thing that is going to be able to solve that wound instead of you know turning to man's wisdom turning to God's wisdom yeah is that a so fair that's encapsulation right. that's right
1: and so what 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 Satan has done here and you know God is sovereignly provident over all these circumstances too and so the, all of our friends and neighbors and loved ones and even strangers who are um, under the influence of this philosophy? They've still got breath in their lungs and blood in their veins, so there is still time. Um, but this is this is the last. This is the ancient battle. <laughs> the Satan was the first deconstructionist. He he was subtle, and 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 I was looking at that Hebrew a little bit too today. It's just his his subtlety is um, is cunning. It's maybe not the, the sneakiness that we would think of in English. He's, he's cunning. He's sensible. He's using his senses. He's relying on his senses to call into question the teaching of God. And so what Satan has done, I believe in this movement, is to discredit the word of God. Has God really said, Eve? Uh, that has been the method. So So then, you know, they would not meet us on the ground of God's holy word the inspired text uh, the revelation from on high they, they they wouldn't be willing to meet us there um and so that that presents a a pretty significant um, obstacle but but yet we know that that the lord has given us uh, his word and 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 the teachers and the shepherds uh to to what to that the saints might attain to faith and attain to the knowledge of the Son of God and maturity, um, and that we would not longer be tossed and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning in deceitful schemes. So again, we're, we're recognizing that this is, if I use firm language amongst brothers here, this maybe wouldn't be the language we would use, um, with the unbeliever who's under the influence of this but but we need to be aware that that this is false false doctrine, human doctrine cunning and and deceit, um, whereas we know that that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I find that so interesting that they've chosen Sophia society as the name of one of the the organs when Sophia is the biblical word for wisdom and and Paul said, "The Greeks they seek after wisdom, right? We we know that folks who are enamored with pagan philosophies they they believe they are in fact searching for and even finding wisdom. And this is why this is a cosmic battle because we know that that wisdom is from of God, and and it only is found in in His statutes and commandments, and and that we fear Him and and praise Him and and get understanding." Um, so yeah, it's it's. I think as a foundation, we've got to understand the the clear and cosmic divide between uh, deceitful doctrine and the the truth of our God.
3: Amen. Yeah,
1: I, I wish that that was you know again that we had um, the silver bullet, but but that is the silver bullet. We we just have to continually gently um, present Christ in his wholeness from all of the word and, 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 and present our need. And, and part of that is probably needing to be modeled uh, by us. When, when you've tarred the entire visible church as, as being abusive and hypocritical, I think the best thing to say is, yes, yes, I, I myself am, am, am the sinner. I myself am loaded with hypocrisy. And the only way for me to deal with this day by day and Sabbath day by Sabbath day is to come before the Lord and confess my iniquity and and cry out uh, with the psalmist over and over um, for his his mercy. So it's it's the ancient foe. (laughs) It really is. And it's heartbreaking in many senses, and yet... Uh, we have to see it as opportune because of the resource that we have. We we have the truth. Uh, we have the Holy Ghost, and uh, this is not going to to demonstrably tear down uh, the gates of the church. That hell is not going to prevail here, though it sometimes seems like it when we see um, the hostility and and folks seemingly so so blinded and and chasing after worldly wisdom
2: yeah what was that old uh gk chesterton quote when uh the there's a newspaper that that's that posed the question what is wrong with the world and and uh, he wrote in and responded
1: i am yeah i think that's such a good way to approach the skeptic and and the person who who believes they've been wounded um by by christians um, and the more that we um, make disciples of Christ and, 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 and truly teach what he said, and I'm talking about him the lawgiver as well, um, the, the more that power is is brought to bear and, and the conviction of sin will come from the Holy Spirit. And we just don't give up. We just don't give up.
3: I want to key in on something that you said a little bit earlier about God's revelation. And it strikes me going through uh, doing uh, kind of some of the, the, the background research on what deconstruction is that the deconstructionist first has to deny God's revelation of himself. Uh, because God's revelation, if we admit that, then we are admitting a system by which we can know truth from error but a deconstructionist denies all that. And so they have to deny God's revelation. Uh, I'm just curious if, you know, especially as a pastor, but uh, you know, as, as somebody who's, who's seen this up close and personal as well, how can our churches ensure a robust defense of revelation, Uh, you know, worship in our community gatherings um, in, in the various activities of the church? Um, and would such a defense do you you think that could play a role in kind of heading off some of these dangerous doctrines
1: oh no doubt i mean that's a that's a vast area and i and I i love it um yeah what has the church done um in the last half century when this has emerged it has abandoned uh its resources and so i'm i'm convinced that um the reformed and presbyterian system, which is a system of doctrine, a system of government, and a system of worship that is rooted in the scripture, is the solution. And so um in in, in one case, severe case that I know of, this this did take place with a very well catechized individual. But I think that's kind of um that's the exception. Um and so again, when they say they're they're deconstructing fundamentalist Christianity, well was were they even in a true church, right? We, we would we would question what exactly was it that that was strong word, but masquerading as the church or or maybe not maybe having one or so of the three marks. And so you know I'm convinced that from the earliest age we have an obligation to the covenant children to be teaching them the things of God in the pattern of Deuteronomy six, and that this characterizes all of our life. And that we have a Sabbath day, and it's set apart, and and that we receive robust teaching, and we respond with our psalms as we're catechizing each other in our ears, as we're singing these beautiful words of God back to Him, and that we're taking advantage of uh, the Reformed confessions to to teach sound doctrine, and and establish um, children and and the elderly alike, and the officers and everybody uh, in sound doctrine all the time. Like this is. Part of our diet, uh, and that even then we know that's that's not that would be pragmatic to say that that's going to just simply seal the deal. Then then we're going to recognize that that some youth are going to wander. They're going to take grace for granted in some cases. They're going to completely flee from the covenant. Um, but nonetheless, we have an obligation to worship as God has commanded, and in that, um, the, the, the the foundation of sound doctrine. Is is best established. I know no better way than than honoring the Sabbath as the Lord commands, and and then uh, living out the the resources of prayer and song, and 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 contemplating the very words of God uh, through, throughout the week, and making that certainly a culture. And I don't think you know. I think we know, and you guys have have talked about this topic in in the realm of worship before. That's just not happening in American Christianity. That. So in, in many cases, when they, when they have an offense, I say, yeah, the offense is the system of doctrine, government, and worship. That's the offense. Uh, and that's what allowed in these, you know, personality-driven, culture-driven uh, things, which, which the Lord does not favor. So I, I think catechesis and, and sound churches are, are the answer uh, for sure. So I threw out a uh,
2: kind of a a thought on the, on the episode of Presbycast we were on uh, the recent one where um, CCM has become the new catechism for the, for the big Eva church. It's the songs that we're hearing at church. It's also the songs we're hearing at home and in the car. So it's it, that is, in my opinion, that has become one of the foundational, um, you know, Catechisms. It's become one of the foundational theological vehicles uh, in the big church today. Um, w- would you would you agree with with that uh, with
1: that concept? Absolutely. I, I got to commend you too for that that line of thought you introduced on that podcast. That was excellent. Um, it's it's emotional and. As are the psalms, as are, as is the experience of the Christian, as is the experience of the sympathizing Savior. All, all of all of God is 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 also connected with an element of um, compassion and and love and, and and mercy and so forth. But yet, what we've been inculcated with in the broader church um, is you know we they've they've given it you know technical terms, you know, moralistic therapeutic deism, right? So it's it's therapeutic. As you 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 know better than I, it's it's chord structure engineered uh, to to pull at the heartstrings and and bring about a certain response and so forth, and um, the heart is exceedingly wicked, it's deceitful, and so certainly there is a generation and a half that are that are now raised on an emotional um, experience. Perhaps we could. This is not the Depeche Mode say, saying, but emotional Jesus. The, that there's, it's an it's a, it's not a Calvinistic experiential um, worship. It's it's an experience rooted in fleshly tendencies, with some vagaries of spiritual truth, but oftentimes you know connected to self and um, the temporal experience. And so forth and so on. So great disservice in that area, and and I know I know you guys know that you don't turn that bus around, you know, quickly. It's pretty hard to bring genuine reform to the broader American evangelical church. But I think we can yeah. plant little reform churches and have twenty people singing together a few times a week, and um, and and learning to love sound doctrine. And have it preached to some to them by someone who loves them, and uh, condescends to their their ability level, uh, and so forth, and, and and is equipping them then to go out and affect so many of these refugees from a false church.
3: So, is one of the. Things that I have noticed some Christians have tried to do, and you've touched on this a couple of times, but have tried to kind of look at Christianizing deconstructionism, if that's even a thing. Is there a good way to deconstruct and then reconstruct our faith? Or is this language is the very language problematic or is there something in that, that we do want to retain? Um, and is it worth it? You know, is it worth it to retain that or is it better to talk about it more in terms of the pure gospel? Like uh, you were saying earlier, uh, is there any kind of like connection it, with the way that people are thinking?
1: I think I hear your question there. Um, if all truth is God's truth, then whatever is in there, is is useful. What does God desire to be broken? Our heart and our spirit, but He will not, uh, you know, crush a bruised reed or or extinguish a smoldering wick. Um, and so, again, presenting sin and salvation with faith and repentance in between, um, and 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 I think that is a that is a reasonable evangelism to pivot from someone's hurt. And say and, and and go to all of the resources of the Word, which which minister to that, and commend it, and say, hey, this is the only way. This is you. You must be beat. You're beating your breast, but then pointing your finger, and and it's so it's a, it's a victim. It, 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 it by by establishing the victim, then we don't have to, to really beat our breasts and say, have mercy on me. I'm the one, <laughs> right now. Certainly, there's all kinds of sinners around me, and they have sinned against me but it starts with my broken heart, my contrite spirit. And then remarkably, I will be equipped, even commanded uh, to show a loving forgiveness and a posture of, of reconciliation towards even the offender. And so there's, yeah, I mean, we could probably riff off on a victim culture, but I think the scriptures are perfectly sufficient to uh, to take down that and, and, and shine that light on the person. And so, you know, to use the the buzzword of the day the winsomeness right but there that that's where it's needed that's where it's needed right there is is to say hey if you knew if you knew the depth of my sin right um, and and the only place that I have found solace is is in the Lord and, and in his forgiveness but i I have never found solace in in going on the war path and, and nor did the patriarchs or or the uh or the fig the prominent figures of the scriptures. Um, and so there, there is something there. And, and again, I think it's, it's rooted in the gospel of, of that, that broken heart and broken spirit.
3: I like how you brought that in. That is something that is, I would say distinctive in reformed and Presbyterian churches, uh, versus other types of churches that I've, I've, uh, have knowledge of right is this idea of bringing it back to the scriptures and asking who else in the scriptures has experienced something like this um you were mentioning the patriarchs the um and um the uh those in the bible who have you know if it was sufficient for them, the word of God it's sufficient for us and we don't need to improve upon the language of the bible in order to uh in, in order to be winsome, right? The bible will be winsome uh to those who it will be winsome too, right? Like uh where does it say that the, the 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 word of god is like um a stench to those who are dying, but it's the, you know, just like this beautiful aroma to those who um, are regenerate, and uh, I, I'm—I feel like I'm kind of starting to get a little out of out of sync here. But um, I, well, I really we like that idea to, where
1: you come back the to liturg- Shola. the liturgical note. I mean, here we're talking about the the dynamic of of worship and it, and its place in this uh, discussion. If you've been in a church mm-hmm. which has no call to confession. And what it does have is a vacuous series of promises and emotional experiences. And then you come into young adulthood and adulthood and you find out that um, there's you're you're caught up with the consequences of your own sin and you're being sinned against, and the world is is um, is grotesque. you're You're ill-equipped. you're ill-equipped. And so again, um, the reformed liturgy is is gospel. It's it's a reminder twice on Sunday that that I have to come before the Lord because I've sinned against him and I've sinned against my, my neighbor. But I'm going to be assured of that pardon. Uh, and then I'm going to be taught all that Jesus commanded and, and, and so forth. So I think that too, right? The, the experience that some of these folks have had, and, and I know there's a subset of folks that, well, it's different, isn't it? You know, as we look at the people who are really um, kind of, Cagey about abuse in Presbyterian and Reformed churches. They take a little different tack than the deconstructionists. We we see the deconstruction primarily in folks who have had a poor system of doctrine taught to them, a a poor uh, a shallow liturgy, and um, unbiblical government. And so we know that that even with godly and qualified elders leading a church that Things sinners come through the cracks and big sins come through the cracks regularly. Uh, but I still think it's, it deals with these things uh, according to the word. And so I think refugees is, is really, the, that, that just kind of came to me tonight, that these folks, they've been wounded by um, a, a false, a facade of Christianity. And so even the thing that they believe they're deconstructing isn't even the Christian faith.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm reminded of the of the video from Lutheran satire, uh, Tyler the Ex-Evangelical Quits Swimming. Um, are you familiar <laughs> with that one?
3: That is oh, honestly hops. one of my favorites. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that one came out, I think, right, uh, it was right after Joshua Harris, I think, uh, came out as not being a Christian anymore. And it was, yeah, it's the whole, whole premise is I'm in the, I'm in the shallow end. I've not actually gone into it. I'm not actually a swimmer. I don't actually know how to swim. I know nothing about it. Um, I just pretended to know something about it because I've been hanging out in the shallow end. And so now I'm going to go and be a mountain climber because that's, that's what I want to be. And then he doesn't learn how to mountain climb.
1: The reformed have a (laughs) pillar called the perseverance of the saints. Uh, we know that those who who go out and, and claim to no longer believe then, then likely didn't. And that the ordinary Christian is going to experience doubt, but yet has the resources because of the Holy Spirit and the Word um, to deal with those things. So then once again, we're back to this is an evangelistic situation. We have... The mind of Christ. Thanks to the Holy Spirit and the scriptures in our hands. Um, where, whereas um, others are leaning on their own understanding and seeking to somehow reassemble uh, bits and pieces from the scripture that, that they want to hold fast, but, but also the syncretized things from, from other faith systems that they're bringing in, uh, another saying du jour, the lived experience, the anecdote, so forth. You know, uh, Another proponent in this field is Nadia boltz Weber, and um, I think she self-applied the handle of um, foul-mouthed pastrix. She has an evangelical Lutheran congregation in urban Denver, and, and I remember reading one of her books and she wrote about a, a woman struggling with lesbianism who um, tore out the four Gospels and threw the rest of her Bible in a fireplace. Uh, and so that's that's part of it, right? There, when You, you have to lean on your own understanding to reject uh, 62 books of the Bible and then even to reject so much of the red letters, so to speak. Yeah. And so... That's what's going on. we gotta, we got to recognize these folks, they've not been given the gospel. Or uh, the Spirit has not yet applied the work of Christ to them. And so we just continue to lovingly uh, call to faith by presenting the work of Christ, call to repentance based on the sin and misery exposed in the law of God, and trust the Holy Spirit is going to sort out... Um, the elect and their re- regeneration in just the perfect timing. And so kind of, man, I get kind of excited. Actually, we could get really discouraged. Um, and, and frankly, I have been a little bit the last two days as I've been thinking about loved ones, um, that are under this ideology, but no, this is good. Uh, we have the resources. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm actually encouraged.
2: <laughs> uh, something that I, I, I typed up earlier today. Uh, just wanted to read it. It says, um, uh, examining what you believe with discernment in order to weed out the false theology that has crept in. And that could be like that syncretism that you were talking about. Um, And to do this in order to purify your faith, it's, it's fundamentally different. It's actually, it's almost like polar opposite uh, from deconstruction. Uh, deconstruction at its core seeks to break down orthodox teaching and, and rebuild something new that fits into today's culture, but still kind of has an orthodox feel to it. Uh, You know, I will keep all of the teaching where Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, but I will reject that. He said uh, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. You know, I I will uh, be able to redefine loving my neighbor as affirming the sin in all of my lost friends' lives, and then I will label not baking the cake as bigoted and as hateful. And so, you know, taking these quotes of Jesus and then applying them to some like current context that really twists the meaning uh, because it makes me feel good about myself. Uh, I think another example would be to take Matthew seven one and put a period right after the second word in that verse, judge, not period, end of chapter.
3: Yeah. In fact, what you're saying there and what Aaron said earlier really ties back into this idea. And, and I'm, I'm no expert here, but the fundamentalist modernist controversy, Machen, etc. the 1920s a hundred years ago, the church was undergoing a similar thing back then. It was more around, as I understand it, that, um, you you know, especially with regards to missions that rather than kind of preaching the gospel to, uh, dying souls, we ought to go over there and just sort of love them into the kingdom. And, uh, I, I think Brad uh, Isabel said this on, on an episode of PresbyCast once, which I thought was really insightful. It was like, yeah, more like, you know, just promote, you know, good old American values. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's really what the message was that they were preaching. And it's maybe, maybe the, the focus of that has changed somewhat, but the battle is still the same as it was back then. And um, I, perhaps it's a little bit of what you were getting at earlier, Aaron, um, this idea that um, we, we, we somehow just have to love them enough to uh, show them, uh, you know, just don't judge them. And then they will, they will feel welcomed and affirmed and loved on into the gospel. Um, is that, is this just a, same song different verse
1: Yeah, I mean the genuine Christian love is is a component. There's there's no doubt about it, but the the obstacle is unbelief. It always has been. Um the the deconstruction con- conflict early in the time of Christ and in the apostolic age, well there was a whole sect of Israel that were deconstructionist. Not not the Pharisees. They they held to the letter of the text, the Sadducees, they, they believed not in the bursts of miracles from God's mighty arm. Um, they believed not in the resurrection, which even the Old Testament uh, alludes to and, and, and directly uh, foretells. And so, yep, okay, we're dealing with unbelief, and our Christian love is actually one resource but it's not. It's not. Uh, it can't stand alone. We have to bring the special revelation of God's word, um, and so definitely, uh, like Butterfield's uh, book, the gospel comes with a house key. the The notion of hospitably uh, presenting Christ in in relationship, um, earning earning that um, that privilege to engage, rather than you know, breaking the relationship with hostility and and um and debate early on. So certainly love Christian love is a component, but I think the 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 unbelief in this movement does not know love because going back to a different portion of first John four, which which I referenced, love is defined as what God has demonstrated to us in sacrificing his only begotten Son as his satisfaction. Um and so we we can that, that love is what couldn't, should overflow out of the believer. And so the utopian love that, that everyone is, is crying after, peace, peace, um, is, it doesn't exist without uh, the love that, that has regenerated us. And so people are, you know, everywhere you go to an urban area and, and you'll see the graffiti of, you know, peace, love those are fruit of the holy spirit you can't have them in in your in in a utopia and and so many have tried and and then the depravity of man collapses uh, even the best efforts
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah there is a it's kind of even going back to that plum quote that we talked about at the beginning one of the things that she says in that, she says uh, you know, she wants to deconstruct so that she can reconstruct in her faith. In her faith. She says that there's almost an, a unanimous mindset among her, her church group. They want to be identified less with being, quote, Christians, but rather they want to be known as, quote, Christ followers. And she says because of the unchristlike behavior that the word Christian has become so connected to, And that was one of the big kind of red flags for me with this whole story is she's pulling one of the, uh, one of the plays from the progressive playbook. And that is to just say that Christians are hateful, no substance to the claim, not pointing out any example, putting that you, as you said earlier, that the tar over the whole visible church and saying I don't want to be I don't want to be known as that because because Christians are 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 bad people. Well, I personally in my experience, I have never met a Christian that was ever evil, hurtful, awful toward a homosexual. Did they call out their sin as sin? Yes. But were they hateful? Were they did they reject them as humans? Did they uh, belittle them? Did, did they do anything that is actually marked as evil toward them? I've never, I've never known that. Are there Christians that do that? Sure. Uh, we all sin, but in my experience, that's not the
1: norm. Uh, right. Well, and fortunately, um, the, the Christian faith is not, does not hang on the nail of the individual person who wears the name of Christ as a badge or claims it. Um, and so, again, that's that humility of we got to acknowledge that, um, that this, this is the whole point. This is the whole point of grace. And so if, somebody want, if they want to reconstruct, what, we have the resources as well. I mean, we have the, the seven classic loci of Reformed theology. You know, why don't you construct it on um, God, theology proper? Why don't you begin to examine the incomprehensibility of God? And the immensity of God. And the immutability and unchanging nature of God. And that he is your creator. And who are you, O oh man? Uh, and so, I, you know, I think we have those resources in here. My tone is getting a little more fierce. Um, and that's, that's not what I want to emphasize. Uh, but I think there is, if indeed reconstruction is the goal, it's, it's got to be uh, constructed or, or be examined or be established um, on on those things, beginning with God, and, and then the sinfulness of man, and then Christology. So we've got a, a doctrine of God, and we've got a hamartiology to use the fancy term for sin. And we've got the person and work of Christ. We've got to teach what the church actually is. Um, that, that is so important. So important that there's... I think we've remarked in our in our texts and so forth on these different platforms last few weeks, even just about how... The folks that are making the biggest—I call it mudslinging—against the Bride of Christ usually demonstrate that they don't understand a visible-invisible distinction. That there's there's tears in and amongst the wheat, and and that which hangs a sign on a um, on a white building and, and is occupied for an hour and a half Sunday morning is not necessarily um, what what the, what the Christian faith is, the, the Christ, it, it is the person of Christ and his, and his followers are a mess. And you can't get very far in the scriptures. You, you can't get past chapter three of Genesis without discovering that. Um, so anyhow, I, we, I, we maybe maybe we're circling around a little bit, uh, but that's, that's good because we're coming back to the resources of the word and, and, and the sound doctrines that are, that are found there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go on.
3: Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's what's so important is it's this entire mind shift. Instead of thinking of the Christian, the person who identifies as a Christian as the example of Christianity, as instead of looking at Christianity as a human betterment program, instead we rebase it and from scripture See that God is actually what our faith rests on, that Jesus Christ is our only hope, and so uh, this is in the Facebook post. But she posts that that picture of Gandhi, you know, and that that rather infamous saying that I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ, and the problem with that is that the truth of Christianity is not based on Christians, but on Christ, on fact. And that is something that is so backwards in that worldview, is that they want to base everything on the personal experience. They're assuming their priors. They're assuming that the, the, the you know deconstructionalism is true, where it says that we can't actually know truth. And so that leads them then to believe that um, it's the personal experience, it's not all we can count on. But instead, Christians say, no, 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 you don't look at me, you look at Christ. And incidentally, what's interesting, if Gandhi really liked Christ, he would have to love his bride. And this is where the mudslinging piece comes in. If we say we love Christ, but we don't love the church, we're kicking mud on Christ's bride. How yeah. how can yeah. we do that?
1: Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah, that's that's a that's sometimes what I'll, what I'll ask people who are uh, you know who claim well I'm spiritual or no I believe in God and, and so then I'll, I'll point them you know do you love his people? Do you do you love his Sabbaths? Do you love to sing his praise? Um, Do you love to have who you truly are illumined by his word, but then have also uh, his gospel offer illumined in so many ways? Um, You know, people want, again, they want the fruit of the spirit without the spirit. Uh, Everybody wants to go to heaven. Uh, So they have this, they've got this biblical notion of, of an afterlife and so forth. Uh, And so we're, we're there to, to connect the pieces for folks and, um, yeah showing them who God is the, the I love the classic sprawl. when people in, when people truly encounter the Living God they do one of three things they either weep tremble or die um, and so you know his whole ministry rooted in in the holiness of God what a great place to start in, in this discussion as well uh, so it's it's probably elementary ABC's Um. You know, guilt, grace, gratitude—the outline of Romans or or, or the Heidelberg Catechism—being so useful as an evangelistic tool. I, I really think that's it. That's it. And and as frustrating as it is to see the bluster um, online and and to see the conferences that are convened and the and the books that are written and and the covenant children who who fall to this, we, we have to continue to cling to God's promises that whatever He's ordaining even through this is right. and he's, and he's saving people out of formerly cursed scenarios all the time um, and, and labor in our own community, which is the church, to, to teach our people who God is, who we are, and, and all that He has commanded um, in the light of His salvation. So, yeah, it's a fascinating conversation, and yet I, I just keep thinking it's the same thing. It is the same. It's unbelief. Um, and yet, Christ has granted this, this, this fallen mind that we have, the, you know, we call it, the noetic effects of sin, that even our minds are, are corrupted by sin, um, in grace he's renewing that mind these are these are tortured minds that are that are seeking to to try and sa- establish something eternal on things that are temporal um, and so there's a free offer there's a free offer uh, that while we were still sinners Christ died for us uh, and to just continually present him and uh, love these folks but I'm I'm sure poor at it, (laughs) particularly when we're using our thumbs on online and so forth. So it's a good, it's a good reminder of um, the evangelistic ministry of every believer in the world.
3: Well, Aaron, that may be true, but you've certainly inspired me as I talk with people. I'm thinking of one individual at the moment who, I don't know if he'd say he's deconstructing. Um, I, I don't know if he'd he he describes himself, like you were saying, like as a a spiritual, you know, he's a spiritualist. And um, I, you know, I've shared the gospel with him. I've read through Zechariah with him, uh, Zechariah three, where, which actually you suggested I do, um, which is such a beautiful picture of our filthiness taken away and replaced with the beautiful robes of righteousness that Christ has earned for us. And Zechariah three is that that beautiful picture of that. Um, Look it up uh, for sure. If, if you all are listening and, and uh, haven't heard this before Uh, it's absolutely beautiful where the high priest, Joshua is before uh, kind of in this vision uh, before God and and Satan, the accuser comes and says, look at this, look at this filthy, you know, <laughs> his filthy robes, you know, how can he stand before God? And uh, the angel um, standing there commands him, uh, you know, take his dirty robes away, give him these, put a clean turban on his head. Um, and we see that as a prefigurement of Christ and the work that he does for us and for every be- believer, the the high priest, of course, being like that representative, right, um, of Israel, and um, uh, the um, uh, and as we you know read through the Bible and we get to Christ and we see that He has made a way for us um, uh, to be clothed in His righteousness.
1: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent.
3: Yeah. His
1: active obedience. I mean, the, the, the accuser is in this thing. Too. You know, That's what I love about that passage is you've got both Christ and the accuser present. So you've got the advocate and the accuser. And, and again, here we are, we're deconstructionists. They do a lot of accusing um, and they believe a lot of, of the deceiver. And so again, to, to say, yes, that that's true. <laughs> I think that even that picture is is maybe even showing us what um, the day of judgment might look like. Perhaps Satan will be called upon to. It's kind of hard to tell if, if he'll be if he'll be the accuser or the Book of Moses will be. Um, both of those are kind of referenced. And the, 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 if the, if the deconstructionist even really knew even really knew the, the the depth of my sin, and that's why you know I'm not. I can't, I can't reconstruct anything for, for myself or from myself. I, I need that, that advocate. I need that mediator. Um, I need Christ who, who looks on sin sick people and, and heals. And then through his kingdom and its increase, handles all the tears and, and handles all the wounds. Um, so this this has just been marvelous to to continue to come back to Jesus, and uh, i'm I'm very thankful that we've been able to have this
3: conversation. Me too, Aaron. And honestly, I think that's where we can leave it. Um, run to Christ if you are thinking, boy, these deconstructionists might have a point, please run to Christ. find a church that preaches the true word of God and talk with the pastor talk with the elders uh if you're not in a church find one um and learn what it means um read through zechariah 3 read through um read through the gospels read through um uh all this consider what what we're saying here and and please run to christ that is your hope that is your only hope in life and in death
1: yeah amen amen uh, we're not we're not appealing to any authority of our own that's right we're 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 ap- appealing to the word of god and, and 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 to god himself and he is truth itself um, and and we receive his truths because it is is the word of god and i think Grant, i heard i heard a plea there in you and and i think that's a that's a worthy element of this to to plead um as as jude says to to snatch them out of the fire.
3: Amen. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, this has just been (laughs) seriously one of my favorite episodes so far. And, um, hearing the love and the truth pour out of you, uh, for these people, uh, who are deconstructing, uh, is beautiful to see. And I am, yeah, it's thank you. Thank you for what you uh, shared with us tonight. And thank you for, um, I I hope this is a help too, to people out there who have maybe a loved one or uh, who themselves are um, thinking about deconstruction. Um, Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Aaron, for being with us tonight.
1: Thank you. But I've, I've had to learn the hard way. About dealing with this, so I, I hope I'm growing in it. And uh, like I say, they're still breathing. Uh, there's still opportunity. Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.
3: Thank you.
2: <laughs> and uh, I just to close, as we always do, just come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. There is a bomb in
0: the eye to make the wound.
3: Thank you for listening to the Balm and Gilead Podcast. We love hearing from you, so email us at thereisbalmcast.com. We are a part of the Tech Reformation family of podcasts, and you can discuss our show and much more at Slack.techreformation.com. We'll see you there. If you enjoyed the Balming Gilead podcast, please encourage others to listen. We value your feedback. So rate, review, and recommend the show in your podcast app of choice. And with that, we'll see you next time on the Balm in Gilead podcast.